Saturn says, I will help you build a huge business if you want it. Yeah. Or something very valuable. And But having Uranus and Neptune on either side, you're like, why? Conversations with Sarah, the podcast where you get to listen in on some of my most interesting and personal conversations. I'm Sarah Samuel, and today we're talking about work. This episode is a unique and personal one. I recently came across a couple spiritual guidance sessions I had in 2017 and 2018 that I recorded. When I re-listened to them, I found them to be incredibly relevant and enlightening to me. Perhaps I'm able to hear them better now in retrospect than I was at the time of the session. They both have to do with work, and they shed a lot of light on what I've been experiencing around all of that, giving me another doorway into self-compassion. The first is an astrology reading with Phyllis Mitz. I got this reading in January 2018 when I was entering my Saturn return, which happens about every 29 years. Supposedly, it's a time of a lot of change and can have the effect of altering the course of one's life. Oftentimes, people change jobs or move or have kids, get married or experience other big life events like that, which is why I wanted to get a reading at this time. Surprise, mine was all about work. I don't know if you know, have you heard of progressions at all? Have you mm-hmm. heard? Yeah, that, that's really a you know complex idea. But your identity is being completely, um, you know, like, like thrown around a little bit mm-hmm. or maybe a lot. And um, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this. Because usually Capricorn is now, come out there, Sarah, and, you know, you just pick a goal and you just make it happen no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's when you read about Capricorn, you right. usually hear about that, like, ruthless ambition. Right. But that's not, that's, you know, we're running into real problems with that now, right? Like, <laughs> like this whole government thing is, you know, like, this is not it's yeah. working for so it has to do with the, the divine feminine, which is you're full of that, because not only do you have all these planets in Capricorn, which we're going to talk about, you have Pisces rising, which is all about surrender, mm-hmm. not giving up, but surrender and letting spirit lead you. And so right now there's a crisis going on in your chart, and I'm sure with you, because first of all, you know, right before Christmas, Saturn went into Capricorn, and this is the beginning of your Saturn return. Yeah. And it's in your career house. And so basically mm-hmm. it's like, boop, okay, you know, what are you going to do with your life? So Sarah, what are you doing these days? What's, what, what are you doing professionally? It's like a million things. I mean, I feel like career has been one of like the most, most difficult, I mean, and relationships, I guess, but career like weighs on me more than anything else. Um, where I like, I haven't landed anywhere. I like try a million things and it's been like that you know, for years now. Um, and so right now I'm kind of doing a bunch of things. I'm working for my dad a little bit, which is really exciting. And he mentioned that he also had a session with you, um, recently and, um, sort of like working on like some podcasts and things. Nothing that I'm doing is really coinciding with money, (laughs) but I'm getting money from other places. So I'm kind of just like, doing, I'm kind of like filling in holes where people seem to need it, I guess, in like their projects. But uh, what, what are your podcasts been about? Well, I have um, one podcast that's like with a few girlfriends of mine and we talk, we have changed topics a few times because we sort of run out of things in that area. Um, what our, The last one we did, we just talked about a reality show that we all watch and like um, and then another podcast is with another friend. We talk about movies that we haven't seen that we then watch and talk about. Um, and then I'm sort of like interning with these two women who have a podcast where they give like absolute worst therapy. And they, it's so, it's a really awesome mix of like funny, but also like real and, they like they give they give real like advice, but they're just saying like, you know, we're not qualified to do this basically, but it's really good. And I feel like I learn a lot from them and I love listening to them. And it seems to be sort of taking off. Um, and I don't know. So I just started sort of interning with them and kind of seeing what they need. OK, because um, 
now that you're now that Saturn is in Capricorn and starting to work in Capricorn, yeah, this is when the personal trainer has come to work with you now. Mm-hmm. And you know what it's like when a personal trainer works with you. The first ten minutes are fun, then you want them to go away, <laughs> and they won't leave. And then you know you're doing things that you never thought you could possibly do. And um, that, that I, I'm going to describe that as your next two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and yet you're praying for this because you really want to know, well, what the heck should I be doing? Yeah. And so let's talk a little bit about this because when you were born, you put Uranus, the planet of freedom. See where you have your Uranus right next to your Saturn, mm-hmm. planet of mastery. You see that? That is an odd combination because Uranus is like, I have to do what I want to do. Don't tie me down. But Saturn is very accomplished and very licensed and very considered the really, you know, the elder. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, the way that the Saturn return works is between now and February, Saturn is going to come and it's going to be in your own sign, right? And that's round one. And usually around one of any transit, you know, transit is literally where the planets are in the sky. It's like, all right, you know, that's good, but it's not like critical or it's not like it, it doesn't force your hand. When I look at maybe about the 18th of March, when Mars, the planet of action, goes into Capricorn, maybe earlier, like maybe the last few days of February. Do you feel like that, Sarah, that, that you know, when you have your ramps around Saturn, there could be a real ambivalence about being tied down to anything. Do you struggle with that at all, that, you know, that like as far as like like being all in, do you ever, do you find that you struggle with that? Or yeah. That no, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think... I always find myself doing a million things and partly it's because I have so many different interests. I get, I start one thing and then I kind of take it to where I feel like I don't really want to do this anymore. And then I get a new idea or like a new opportunity presents itself. So like even right now, like when I make a list of like all the things that I'm doing and trying to accomplish, like, yeah, there's just a million of them. And then like, I'm also doing improv and I'm also trying to do stand up comedy. So I definitely like have my fingers in a lot of different jars. Um, well, the improv and stand-up you've been devoted to for a while, right? Yeah, I've been doing that for for a while. I sort of took last year. I sort of took a a bit of a break, um, a semi-forced break. But I, I could have gotten back into it, but I sort of didn't. And then now, just sort of at the end of last year, I started to be like, okay, no, I really I do want to perform. I don't want to just fall into being like an audience member here. So like at my theater. So I'm in a okay. class now and I started and doing stand up. Are you getting good feedback about this now? <clears throat> like like literally like this month. <laughs> um <clears throat> I've been <clears throat> well I actually haven't I've been sick pretty much since right bef- right after Christmas. So I yeah. I haven't really been out there as much as I have wanted to. So I actually haven't even really done any stand-up, but in December when I started doing stand-up, I, I was getting good feedback and um, I've only had one improv class so far because I was sick last week. So I have my next one tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I guess it was good. I mean, I'm in a class with people who have been doing it much, much for, for less time than I have. So that's, I mean, in some ways that's kind of helpful because I'm like, oh, look, I am. I do sort of know what I'm doing, even though I, I often feel like I don't. So, Well, I tell you, um, <clears throat> usually when I see this much Capricorn, there is a gift in humor, in comedy. Oh, interesting. And I think that's very real. I think it's very real and very pursuable. Um, in many ways, it might be that you as a manager of other people. Um, and, and this is, I think, really the... Um, the paradox of your chart, because I think we talked earlier that with all this Capricorn, um, there's a certain kind of mastery and authority and business quality. Mm-hmm. And now Saturn is strengthening this up. And when you have Uranus around another planet, it says that you can kind of get bored or close to something and then fly away. Yeah. And so the win this year would be not necessarily picking the perfect thing because that you know there's many perfect things for you but picking something that you would have to stick to long after it is so hard you can barely handle it yeah and so you know if you do improv if you do performing 
And yet I'm looking at the 10th house. Usually that's some type of business. Okay. And some type of um, something that has, you know, where you're the boss, you're the manager, you're telling other people what to do. Does that resonate with you? Do you think that there are skills in there where you can, you know, kind of pull together something organizationally? Would that be something maybe that you're doing with your dad? What, what do you do for your dad? Well, right now, you know, he's like launching his book. So I'm just sort of assisting. Everything I'm doing is sort of assisting besides like the podcasts, I've been sort of producing them myself and editing them. And I generally tend to be the one in charge of like getting everyone together. Um, But they all kind of like, I don't know, it's hard. It's hard when I'm like dealing with so much scheduling with other people because just falls out. Um, So I don't know, like I definitely think I, I easily fall into that kind of role, but I, I guess I don't have, like, I don't know what the, which is why, like, also as I was like, oh, I'm in my Saturn return and kind of looking at my chart and noticing, like, the 10th house stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know where, where is this going to come from? I guess that's my question. Like, I don't, I, I haven't been working towards something that now I have a bigger role in. Like, there's nothing like that. So it's hard to... I mean, I guess things can change constantly. I don't know what's going to like be on the horizon, but as far as right now, like I can potentially see myself falling into that role and having those skills, but I don't see like the container that will be like, you know, or the specific thing of what it will be, I guess. See, this makes a lot of sense. Okay, Um, that's good. It doesn't have to be 100% identified, but let's take a look at, Saturn in Capricorn, okay. the 10th house, that's like a triple mitzvah, right? That's good. And what does Saturn rule? Saturn rules your 11th house, which is groups, organizations, and people. All right, let's look at Uranus. Uranus is in the in, in the 10th house, which means you've got to do your own thing or your own thing your own way. Yeah. What does Uranus rule? Hey, that's the 12th house. Again, that, 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 that gets us with a lot of other people, right? Neptune is there. Neptune has to do with surrender and glamour and um, the image of things, right? And spirit of things. What does Neptune rule? You. And I think, again, having so much Neptune conjunct the sun, like, you know, you know, we have Neptune conjunct the sun and Pisces rising, right? Okay. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, this, like being a, like, like, that's why I'm saying your paradox, you know, because when you have all this Capricorn, it's like very militaristic. Yeah. And yet when I look at your identity, the fact that you have Sun conjunct Neptune, that is a very classic, like, who am I? Yeah. It's you know, confusing. It's kind of a thing. It's like being a Pisces. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Your Pisces yeah. rising. Yeah. And so in that way, there can be a lot of um, confusion. Yeah. Um, who you are and um, so I would say you know the high form of of, um, Pisces is art art and God Mm -hmm. art and counseling Mm -hmm. art and helping and so there's art there's business there's counseling in here right not necessarily the kind of counseling like you know the Joanna would do like a MSW maybe not necessarily although your generation is different um, it might be, you know, kind of helping people artistically another way. And so on the one hand, I'm thinking usually somebody who is a famous artist looks different than you. And, you know, they have a lot of fifth house. Um, you've got a lot of 10th house. Very few professional artists have that. Yeah. Most managers, producers, executives right. are 10th house people. And so, because 10th house is usually, you know, the one who runs the show. Yeah. And so if you say, well, you know, I do, you know, I end up helping other people. Um, it might be that this is the year that you pick somebody to support. And yet they're, you know, you, you literally try to take more responsibility than you ever have before. Yeah. Because you think responsibility is part of it. How do you relate to responsibility? Is it something that you're fine with or is it something that you, that your Uranus likes to kind of. I have a mixture. I have a mixture. I definitely, there's a part of me that 
feels really comfortable taking on a lot of responsibility and I feel comfortable sort of like being independent in that. And I, I do like managing people. I have done that like very little like at, um, but yeah, then, but another part of me is like, uh, no, I don't like, let me not have anything to do. And in your karmic field, that is really a choice, right? You know, you don't have to. Yeah. So these are all choices. And that's what's so odd about your chart is that you're a soul with a lot of choices. Mm -hmm. Because the Saturn says, I will help you build a huge business if you want it. Yeah. Or something very valuable. And But having Uranus and Neptune on either side, you're like, why? Yeah. You know, I think that would be kind of a trap. Do you ever feel right. like that? Right, yeah. Why? Yeah. You have to look at it like it's a gym. Not even like a gym, like it's a game. Um, but it would be a game where you would see what would happen if you were all in. So if you look yeah. at it like, all right, I'll help. Um, that wouldn't be right. If you said, all right, I've got a lot of planets in Capricorn. Right now, between now and 2020, the whole entire solar system is lining up in Capricorn. Um, what could I pick to do with my whole heart to see what happens when I do something with my whole heart, knowing that you could get out of it if you wanted to? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, working with your dad fits if he could give you enough work. Right. And where you would, you know, be very uh, not the child because Capricorn is the adult. Right. And this is also the question because um, Capricorn is usually considered the grandfather or the grandmother, not the daughter, not the young girl. Yeah. And so how do you relate to maturity? Are you, are you excited that this is your Saturn return? Or is there a, you know, a, a very youthful part of you that doesn't really want that growing up vibe? No, I'm excited. I... Yeah, I don't even know like where I heard of it, but I like right when I heard of it, I was like, I was like, I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah, in other words, you heard about your Saturn return making you grow up. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. And I just heard there's like so many changes in people's lives. I mean, I've been looking forward to being 30 for like two years, so <laughs> I feel like yeah. that's like part of it. Where I'm like, I'm done in my 20s, like my. I, like my twenties were so, I don't know, like they're, everyone always talks about them. Oh, so youthful and young. And I'm just like, youth is, has no value to me. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't, <laughs> but it makes sense. Yeah. Capricorn is the elder of the Zodiac. <clears throat> you know, it's like, like the one, like, like, and it's always said the Capricorn's Later in life, at the best time, mm -hmm. youth is very difficult for a Capricorn. Yeah. And usually when they're young, they're with older people. And then, yeah. You know, when you're older, if you're not married, you'll be like, you know, with somebody like one half your age. Yeah. Like totally normal. So, um, so, but that's, that, this is it. So if you say, well, what do I do? I'd say you've got a polarity of choices. So I don't think it has a thing to do with what. Although I do like, I like the comedy in terms of participation. Yeah. And and um, showing up. But if you said, does it look like I'd be an artist? I'd say it looks like you would be a manager. At the end of this astrology reading, I was so in my own uncertainty about work that I just wanted answers. I just wanted to know what was coming, how my transformation into a successful career woman would suddenly take place and what field it would be in. I remember leaving the reading thinking, okay, I'm supposed to pick something to focus on to get better at, that the personal trainer she mentions will teach me. But over the next year, I didn't really do that because I didn't know what to pick. As I say in the reading, I didn't really have a strong passion for any one thing in particular. Listening back though, I have a different interpretation of what was being shared with me. Although I'm still in the middle of that two and a half years she mentioned, and I'm sure my perspective will shift even further. Listening back, I think mostly about podcasting. Interning for the Absolute Worst podcast was my main thing in 2018. I did it for a full year, and during that time, the podcast grew in listenership. I helped create a Patreon for them, and they started getting advertisement offers. 
Even though I wasn't getting paid, I looked at the job as an investment. I was committed to it and excited to grow with the podcast as it grew. I wasn't attached to the idea of it going anywhere, but I was excited if it did and I was ready to go with it. And then at the end of 2018, it ended and I started getting less work from my dad, who I was doing copy editing and assistant work for. And everything just kind of stopped, leaving space for something new. While I'm not a super successful podcaster at this point as far as numbers go, it's been the art form, so to speak, that I've been most committed to and enjoyed the most. And I wouldn't have been able to create this podcast, which I now think of as something of a memoir, without my past podcasting experience and especially my experience with the Absolute Worst podcast. All of the podcasts I've done so far have been little side projects getting maybe 100 listeners at most. So working for a podcast with listeners in the thousands and growing gave me confidence. I also really hear what Phyllis is saying about these competing aspects of my life. The part that wants to work hard and achieve and be committed and the part that wants to enjoy and seek spiritual fulfillment and be free that doesn't really see a point in all the doing and producing. She tells me to pick something and stick to it through phases of unbearable difficulty. And I think that applies to two places in my life as far as I can see right now. One is improv. I constantly want to quit improv, but I know that it's good for me, so I stick with it. And I've just recently started teaching improv classes. Improv as a path to enlightenment is what I call them, which is really improv as a tool for self-awareness. I know that to teach this art form, I have to continue doing it, even though sometimes I hate it and dread going to a rehearsal or a show. In the end, it's fun, and in the end, I haven't squeezed all the juice out of it yet. I don't know what makes me commit to improv that hasn't been there for other things that I've tried. I've quit a lot of things in my life. And I think part of not having regular work and not working at places for long periods of time and feeling committed to them has made me wonder if I'm missing out on something to learn from all that. But I'm glad that I do have improv to teach me about sticking with something and continuing through difficult times. The other thing I know I have to stick with through unbearable difficulty is vulnerability and following my creative impulses, regardless of whether or not they produce any fruit and regardless of the things that I think I should be doing instead. It's been hard for me to participate in things just because I love them. If I can't see a possible outcome of some kind of success or perceived approval from others at the end of it, I'm having to redefine success and reframe my failures. I'm learning to let success be defined by an internal experience, to be proud of myself for living in a way that feels right to me rather than in a way that I think others will approve. Like in improv, I have to let go of my expectations for how it's all going to go and be present to how it's actually going and what's actually happening. When I got the reading in 2018, I was looking for external answers and evidence of success. And what I now realize is that it's more internal than anything else. The next conversation is another spiritual guidance session called a Rose Review. The conduit is Karen Seberg, an incredibly wise and clairvoyant healer who has helped me a lot over the past few years, every time I've gone to see her. It was actually from a session with her that I started doing improv in the first place. This session is from 2017, and like the astrology reading, it describes my internal experience with work in such an accurate and clear way that feels validating and reassuring. Before we listen, I want to describe to you how the session goes. I sit in a chair across from Karen, and she asks me to say my name three times. Her eyes are closed the entire time, and for 90 minutes, she gets images, sounds, and feelings that she describes and interprets for me, occasionally asking and answering questions when things require clarity or new information. She once described the session as her higher self talking to my higher self, so I'm not actually saying anything in this conversation. Okay, so let's begin... um I was going to say, as we always do, and it's like, no, this is not about what we always do. On the contrary, this is about what we rarely do. So it feels like that's an announcement um, of some sort. Um, So uh, (laughs) I'm like, now what? Um, One moment. Yeah, so this is about what we rarely do. And I'm going to ask you to say your name once, please. First, last, middle, if you like, however you wish to uh, convey it. Sarah Michael. So what comes out is it's almost like this 
genie out of the bottle energy. Like I see this undulating uh, line of light and it's like, well, how about that? Like that's enough. And there's a sense of that's enough being a, a, a multi-meaningful um, uh, summary. There's a sense of, I said it once and that's enough. I don't need to keep um, kind of explaining who I am, uh, you know, defining myself to other people, um, going through the motions for your comfort. So there's this, it's like immediately there's a theme here about entering into a time where it's enough. It's enough who you are, as you are, as your circumstances are, as you feel, as you don't feel. Um, and I have this voice that, you know, it's kind of like this mischievous genie, this very sort of clever and like, you know, normally we think of genies as kind of fanciful and magical and fairy-like. And this one is really like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's cut to the chase. Like, no, um, it's not as I would expect. So that's another element coming up here. It's like, um, there's this sense of you really opening up into this time of, of unapologetic um, acceptance. Now, acceptance, when I said that, it was like, oh, that's a really passive word, like something you just said about another word. And I'm really speaking about active acceptance, actively accepting that, um, that there is, there is no longer, and I say no longer, with the sense that it's been going on a long time and, and part of that time there was a need for it, but there is no longer a need to, to be more than you are. And that's, that in itself is a diminishing mm, frame. In other words, to start out feeling like, mm, not enough, I gotta do more, I gotta be more, I gotta, gotta act more more, more, more. It's like that, that from the get-go creates a scale of lack or a scale of diminishment. And it's very, uh, it, 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 it creates impotency in your potency. In other words, it negates what, what you already are, what, you, what already is. And there's a sense of, yeah, you don't, necessarily work the way a lot of other people work. And as I was saying that, I was actually understanding internally. And as I said it, I heard it externally, like, yeah, jobs and so on and so forth. And there's this sense that your outer situation really does reflect your internal you know, divine uh, mechan you know, divine structuring, divine mapping. Um, there is this uh, this different way of working. Um, it's not um, you. I see that you do really well when when you're allowed to kind of roll around the ball, and you know, it's almost like well, if you go and play a, a game of X or a game of Y, like let's go play, you know, two square, four square or catch or whatever, you know, there's this kind of understood code of rules. And what I see, it's like, this is really the way that you work. It's like, you got to kind of roll it around, mull it over, you know, push it that way. And there's really nothing inherently wrong with that. It just doesn't often match the the going code, the going structure, the the template that's often in place about like the traditional template, the template of tradition. So what I see, it's like, um, it's really interesting in that somehow your external circumstances have, have, um, have dropped into place that allow for your your specific and specific as in uh, specifically unique to you internal workings. Um, you know, you're, you, I see you're not the, the, the A plus B equals C. And even when I say it, it's like A plus B equals C, you know, there's this, 
sense of um, boredom from having figured it out before you got started. And so another way to say this is I see you're, you're really a non-traditionalist. Um, and by non-traditionalist, that doesn't mean you don't have respect for, you know, tradition or you respect for, but there's this sense of, of, I want to call it like inherently non-conformist. And, and that's, um, that's so far been defined as a non, like you're not something. And when we talk about what you're not, we're not really talking about what you are. You know, there's a sense of like the reference point is what you're not. And this is also showing me like, when I first became aware of that, I'm like, well, why didn't I say it in another way? And it's like, no, no, this is actually kind of, again, I feel like I'm looking at the framework that the belief system has been structured upon or built upon, you know, you always kind of have had this or often have had this, um, this view of, of your point of reference has been, you know, what is, what the traditions are, what the codes are, what the rules are, what, and yet it's really not relevant. Like it's like, you don't really need to follow them for your life to work, period. It's not that you don't need to, you know, abide by human decency and, you know, the golden rule or, or, or sort of more, um, more unwritten, you know, human uh, laws of hu humanity. But I'm really talking about the day-to-day -day, um, and the word grinding, you know, the, the grinding cog that really makes a lot of uh, that really represents a lot of how things tick. You know, they move in cogs, they like a clock, like, like, you know, this person does that, that person does this, this person does that, click, click, click. But what I'm seeing, it's like, there's also, it's like, you're more like the lubricant. You're more like the, the, you know, come in from the outside and inject into the cogs some kind of fluidity. So I'm getting like all these images and now I'm asking, so like what, how does that translate to day-to-day? -day? Um, and I was about to say like practical living. It's like, well, who said we had to be practical? It's like, it's not, um, practicality is one of those words that when applied to your life circumstances, again, it's sort of like irrelevant. And I'm, I'm aware now, like all these terms that often, you know, are quite useful in, in, in elaborating a, a sort of meaning or a significance uh, of, a, of, a, of a lexical term. All these words are, are really not applicable. Like they, they, it's like they're, they go well with a different uh, template. So I'm gonna specifically ask now, you know, let's have some language that really, um, applies to you, to this opening phase, to, you know, how, how it can look, or and as I said that, it's like, well, why would she want to know that? That's boring too. Like there's a sense of, um, it can look so many different ways and really needing to need as in K-N-E-A-D, need those, that understanding and those, the possibilities that come out of that. Like this is a time to need, K-N-E-A-D, it's like needing a new belief system, but it's not really a system so much as a, as a foundational um, a layer, like a, a something that you can rest upon. And when I say foundational layer, I was kind of reaching for language again, and I felt like I could feel this part of my palm. You know, there's a softness there. Like foundations we think of as very firm and, you know, it's like, well, no, that's the foundation that you've been, you know, kind of walking on up till now. But this is a different kind of found. It's like allowing in more softness, more, it's equally solid. It's just, there's a cushion here. So it's like allowing the cushion and like, when I say that, I'm aware, like, hey, this is the hand God gave me. Like, I don't have to, you know, 
uh, justify it or answer for it. Like it just kind of fell into my lap, into my body. And so why wouldn't I allow it? And there's a sense of, of that being also a metaphor. You know, there are things that, you know, that you had ostensibly nothing to do with that fell into your lap. And, and part of me is hearing it in French, you know, and then it doesn't in any way diminish the value of it any more than it would be like, oh, I have a soft part of my hand, not gonna use it, gonna pick the hard part just because that's what people say it's good to do. You know, like that's, that'll prove that I'm such and such for who knows who. Like there's an absurdity to that sort of approach. Why wouldn't I, you know, kind of allow for the padding and, and the, you know, the sinews and the sensuality that comes off them. And so there's a sense of, you know, this, this padding being available, but not yet really um, allowed, um, enjoyed, um, you know, so there's a sense of also really coming into a time where it's, it's like uh, allowing more enjoyment of of the padding, the cushioning, the softness, the the aforementioned, um, you know, there's been a, it's like there's a, there's a lack of, of grittiness there that's very, not just fortunate, but there's a soothingness to that kind of environment. And I also am aware when I say these things that there's a sense of, uh-oh, deservingness, deservingness is coming up here. Like, like I earlier said something like, you know, merits attention. And then I heard the word merit kind of had a charge. And it's like, there's a sense now of what's really coming up is very um, early, early interpretations, as much as beliefs, really interpretations of, what you deserve, you know, how deserving are you of this good fortune and this softness and, you know, things you didn't quote unquote earn. It's interesting when I said earn, I got the U-R-N, like, you know, anytime we're going to bring, did you earn it? In this circumstance, it's like, it's like a death call. Like, like it's, it's just going to annihilate the available um, gift, the available gift. It's like, it's like when somebody gives you a gift, mm, you wouldn't necessarily say, you know, no thanks, uh, you know, I didn't do anything to deserve that. And yet that's been some of the positioning for, for the, some of the circumstances that have really um, become available for some softening, for you to really roll around and mull things over and, and not mull things over and just feel your own rhythms. Um, this is also a lot about coming into a time of, of higher attunement to your inner rhythms. Um, and there's a sense of, I have also this sense, it's kind of it's sort of endearing almost, like I have a sense of the being part of the cosmos and like there's a planet that's kind of, you know, ever so incrementally revolving revolving, and over here there's kind of some you know uh, evolutions happening and I have a sense of you know being almost like one of the planets and and yet my axis it's it's its own it's it's part of a larger system but it has different revolutions and evolutions different as in it's not predictable. It's not, it's not really on the ground. Um, and that's interesting. As I see it, I'm, I'm like, well, what, what do we mean by that? Um, and it's like, I want to call you like a, you know, like there's something very celestial spirit about you. There's something very, um, it's not quite etheric, but it's like, um, you know, this expression, you know, she beats to her own drummer. It's not a drum. There's like, there's this rhythm that is really attuned to what's out here that's 
aware of what's down here, but the higher attunement is here. And so there's also a kind of a gap between, and, and earlier you spoke about some kind of gap. It's almost like I see this innate attunement with, with I'm going to call it the greater rhythms, the rhythms that, um, that hold all evolution, the, you know, eternal turnings, if you will, of, of the universe. Um, and I see that that's all a match for, for you and who you are and how you're wired. What's not quite um, uh, a match is trying to confine all that into one of those cogs. And for whatever reason, in other words, I'm not really seeing a reason why. Um, and it feels like, I, well, I don't really need a reason why. It's what is. It's, you know, it's like the way you came in. It's the, the, the aptitudes you have, the, um, the, it's not quite cycle, but it's like the, your rhythms are, are what they are. Um, in all their divinity and all their divine, you know, sparkles and all their um, alignment with, with what we might sometimes call the greater fields, but it doesn't really feel like a field I'm looking at. It's more like, uh, I feel like I'm getting more like a view of the cosmos and your place in it. And it shows up more like a, like a, um, an additional, I was gonna say alternative, but it's like an alternative planet. You know, there's something that alternates at its own rhythm, rightly so, but is it necessarily the same rhythm of what's down below? And down below, I'm not talking about hierarchies of superiority, just talking about, um, you know, simultaneous layers, um, not quite levels, but layers of, of life in all its forms. And so I feel like what I'm looking at is this internal rhythmic turning and churning that's very much attuned to, to what's beyond the space in front of it. And yet what I see is a lot of times there's been this either or, either I'm right here, kind of like limited, uh, feeling a bit uh, constrained and stuck, or I'm out here. And so I'm gonna ask the question, what might be useful or helpful in, in creating an and as much as an either or, you know, sort of allowing for this magnificent when I say attunement, you know, uh, there's like this natural, I can hear, I can hear the birds. I can hear the wavelengths. I can hear, you know, I can follow, I can hear something that's, mm, that transcends sort of human logic and human um, uh, conceptualized, <laughs> you know, cognitive input. Like you can hear, I almost want to say, you know, you like like a, a, a universe whisperer. Like there's something very attuned that recognizes, that acknowledges, I want to call it like a bigger, a bigger order that's, that's, um, that's not necessarily understandable but it is somewhat knowable in its, in its unknowingness. <laughs> in other words, you can know that there's a lot you don't know. And, and that somehow creates a different scale because when you're down here kind of constrained by what other people think, what you think you should be doing, what you know, the world says you should be doing, there's a sense of, well, not only are you out of the, the know, the knowingness, but you're also, you're also not even feeling yourself. You know, there, it's like even the motion of it, it's like hemmed in. There's this, you can't kind of reach it. Even if I know it's out there, 
I'm on lockdown. Um, so I'm seeing there's been a pattern of, of self-imposed lockdown to, and it's another way of saying you've had to, you've made yourself smaller. You've really made yourself smaller to fit in, but it's not a fit. Like it doesn't fit you. It just, you know, boxes you. So um, I'm going to ask again, what, what might be helpful to, I'm not sure if it's quite bridge these, you know, kind of um, moving fluidly through, you know, the, the everyday quotidian, you know, um, um, more traditional, um, specified, coded ways of being, you know, and also including this really kind of expansive, this isn't all there is. <laughs> like, this is just what a lot of people say needs to happen because it's for the moment how this will turn. But there's kind of keeping, keeping sight, but it's more than sight, keeping sense of, when I said keeping sense, it's like, yeah, that's, like, that's what makes sense. Not this, this doesn't, this is never gonna make any sense to you. Like, it's, it's kind of like, well, it makes sense if, if, if everybody sort of agrees that that's all there is, but nobody really does. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it, it makes survival sense. It doesn't necessarily make um, enlightened sense or illuminating sense or expansive sense. While this conversation felt validating and comforting when I heard it in 2017, it didn't necessarily feel practical. The things Karen is talking about, about who I am fundamentally and the way that I quote unquote work are so nebulous, I couldn't understand what I was supposed to do, how I was supposed to apply that information to how I was living my life. I was still focused on fitting into the system I saw everyone else fitting into. Only now am I starting to see the real value of what she told me, the immense power of beingness rather than doingness, of rolling around the ball, as she said. I'm starting to be able to accept my unique situation, my unique gifts and talents and resources, both material and immaterial, that I was born with or that come easily to me. I'm also beginning to accept and appreciate my unique challenges, those things that have been difficult and that I've struggled with that hold important lessons for me to learn. But I guess in all of this newfound acceptance of myself, my unique way of being, my desire for creative freedom and spontaneity and the circumstances that have allowed me to pursue that, I still have a fear. I'm reading a book right now by Sheila Hetty called How Should a Person Be? And she articulates the root of my fear perfectly. There's a scene in which Sheila and her therapist are talking about the poor eternus. I'm probably not saying that right. It's an archetype, the eternal child like Peter Pan. Her therapist says... You remember the poor Aternus, the eternal child, Peter Pan, the boy who never grows up, who never becomes a man. Or it's like in The Little Prince when the prince asks the narrator to draw him a sheep. The narrator tries and tries again, but each time he fails to do it as well as he wishes. He believes himself to be a great artist and cannot understand why it's not working. In a fit of frustration, he instead draws a box, something he can do well. When the prince asks how it's a picture of a sheep, the narrator replies that it's a picture of a sheep in a box. He is arrogantly proud of his solution and satisfied with his efforts. This response is typical of all poors. Such people will suddenly tell you they have another plan, and they always do it in the moment things start getting difficult. But it's their everlasting switching that's the dangerous thing, not what they choose. Sheila asks, why is their everlasting switching dangerous? And her therapist says, because people who live their lives this way can look forward to a single destiny shared with others of this type, though such people do not believe they represent a type, but feel themselves distinguished from the common run of man who they see as held down by the banal anchors of the world. But while others actually build a life in which things gain in meaning and significance, this is not true of the poor. Such a person inevitably looks back on life as it nears its end with a feeling of emptiness and sadness, aware of what they have built nothing. In their quest for a life without failure, suffering, or doubt, that is what they achieve, a life empty of all those things that make a human life meaningful. And yet they started off believing themselves too special for this world. But, and here's the hope, 
There is a solution for people of this type, and it's perhaps not the solution that could have been predicted. The answer for them is to build on what they have begun and not abandon their plans as soon as things start getting difficult. They must work without escaping into fantasies about being the person who works. And I don't mean work for its own sake, but they must choose work that begins and ends in a passion, a question that is gnawing at their guts, which is not to be avoided, but must be realized and lived through the hard work and suffering that inevitably comes with the process. They must reinforce and build on what is in their life already, rather than always starting anew, hoping to find a situation without danger. Poors don't need to check themselves into analysis. If they can just remember this, it is their everlasting switching that is the dangerous thing, not what they choose. They might discover themselves saved. The problem is the poor ever anticipates loss, disappointment, and suffering, which they foresee at the end of every experience. So they cut themselves off at the beginning, retreating almost at once in order to protect themselves. In this way, they never give themselves to life, living in consistent dread of the end. I see myself clearly in this archetype and this description especially. As I have said, I fear that my choices about work are an indication that I am avoiding maturity, that I'm somehow stunting my own growth. I don't know how much to lean into my predisposition toward formlessness. It's like what Jess and I were talking about in the park in episode six. I have avoided labels. I have avoided identity. I feel more comfortable in the formless potentiality of a situation than in the rigid structure that the physical world requires. I don't know how much to lean into that, to accept that part of myself and expand it, to live easily and naturally, and how much to challenge that part of myself, to lean into that Capricorn side of me that wants to build and create something solid and tangible. I relate to what Sheila's therapist says about anticipating loss, disappointment, and suffering. To build would be amazing, but to lose what I have built would be unbearable. And I also relate to when she says to be careful of escaping into fantasies about being the person who worked. That is my fear as well, and I think that I do do that. She says they must choose work that begins and ends in passion. Is that what I'm doing here with this podcast and with my other creative endeavors? Are my creative endeavors enough? Can I build them up enough? doesn't matter what they become as long as I'm committed to them, as long as they become something to me. This is what I don't know. Is it enough to just build something for myself or is that still an escape? Does my life need to be approved and seen by others or is my own approval enough? And can I approve of something that is not approved by the mass majority of society or at least by the people I respect the most? I suppose in some way this goes back to the professor's point about art in episode two. He says whether or not someone is an artist is to be determined by the public at large. This is what I'm afraid of, that the life I create, even if it feels right to me, even if it's the only thing I can do, will not be good enough for the public, that it will be an attempt at life rather than an actual one, that I'll be missing something. So this is where I'm at right now. This is my conundrum. If you want to have an astrology session with Phyllis or a Rose Review with Karen, I highly recommend both. You can find their information in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. And if you like the podcast, please leave me a rating and review wherever you're listening. Bye.